The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, and welcome back to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Right across from me is Alwan, the only Laura. Say hi, Laura. Hi. All right. So what do you got for me today? You gave me some... I like that last name, by the way, that Diane... Zamora. Zamora. Yes. Diane Zamora and David Graham today. She sounds like she should be reading a crystal ball and telling my fortune. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Let the great Zamora tell you about your future. Yes. I could totally see that. Like, yeah, read my palm, lady. It's cool. We're good. Uh, Unfortunately, (laughs) you're going to die of syphilis and then you're going to trip over a clamshell and crack your head open. That's great. Thanks, Diane. Appreciate that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it could be. Yeah. I'm going to continue with our week of uh, young people doing horrible things to other young people. Oh, sweet. We're on a roll this week. Yeah. So, in the early morning hours of December 3rd, 1995, a farmer driving alongside a desolate country road saw the body of a teenage girl on the ground behind a barbed wire fence. At first, he thought he was looking at roadkill, See, that's a waste of a perfectly good white chick, young girl. That just yeah. upsets me. Uh, the girl's face them. was nearly unrecognizable. One bullet hole was in her left cheek, another in her forehead. She'd been hit so hard on the left side of her head that part of the skull above her ear was caved in like a pumpkin. Jesus Christ, what the fuck? Yeah. She was wearing flannel shorts and a gray t-shirt that read UIL Region 1 Cross Country Regionals 1995. Within hours, police officers identified her as Adrian Jones, a 16-year-old girl, high school, sophomore, from the town of Mansfield, southeast of Fort Worth. A former farming community built around a grain elevator, home to an old indoor rodeo arena, and some cheery antique stores along Main Street, Mansfield was one of the last places in the Dallas-Fort Worth corridor that still felt like a small town. In 1984, looking for a safe place to raise his family, Bill Jones moved his wife, Linda, and his three children, Adrian and two younger brothers, to Mansfield from the Dallas area. He found a modest neighborhood where the homes were clustered together, the yards were like little green squares, and the echoey sound of children at play drifted down the streets. So you know it's going to be really bad. Sounds like a fucking John <laughs> Mellencamp song. Yes, it does. You know, little Jack and Diane going mm, on. You know. Little pink houses. I was just going to start singing that. Little pink houses <laughs> for you and me. Yes. Jones, who made his living repairing heavy construction equipment, was a no-nonsense bearded man who kept his heavy brown work boots on when he arrived home at the end of the day, wearing them even when he sat in his easy chair. He also was determined to keep a tight rein on his children, especially Adrian, who was known as AJ. I truly felt that if we had some rules that kept her away from teenage temptations, Jones said, we'd be okay. No, that's not how that works. (laughs) Um, It was only that autumn that he had allowed Adrian to stay out past 9 o'clock on weekends. If she told him she was going to a movie or to Six Flags over... Texas and nearby Arlington with friends, he would often make her produce a ticket stub when she came home to prove where she had been. Jesus Christ, why not put a fucking bullring through her nose and lead her around? Yeah, I bet bet you that he probably did not treat his sons this way. This goes back to the whole teenage girls don't know what they're doing or what they want thing. It's true, you know, and I I was thinking about what you said last uh, 
last time that we recorded uh, a week uh, a couple weeks ago is that you know oftentimes we high five our sons going hey man good job you got yourself some pussy yeah and then our daughters were sitting there like if uh, you let a guy touch you I'm gonna kill him and then I might murder you and you yeah so no yeah it's I I, I totally dig I mean yeah. I, did, I didn't do that to my daughter I mean I just fucking went okay you're gonna do what you're gonna do you know but in her defense like with my son-in-law they've known each other since they were like just got into high school right so I wasn't too worried and right you know, Nathan's not exactly the toughest guy on the planet, so <laughs> Cassie can kick his ass. <laughs> not too worried. So he had nailed her bedroom window shut so she couldn't sneak out of the house at Fucking night. hell, what? Yeah. I'm just keeping her away from teenage temptation. Jesus Christ, that's fucked up, man. You know, I have a lunch break, right? At school. Like, I leave the house to go to school. <laughs> Nothing could possibly happen unless it's sneaking out at night. But uh, it could hardly be said that Adrian was a rebel. She took advanced honors courses, studied at least two hours a night, and was a good athlete. After she hurt her knee playing for the girls' soccer team, she decided to join the girls' cross-country team to get in better shape. And she became so good in the two-mile run that she helped the team qualify for the November regional meet in Lubbock. Her school her dad's worried about it. That's fucking stupid, man. Yeah. Dude, your fucking daughter, she was studying her ass off. She's being an athlete. She's doing everything to, you know, kind of make you proud. You want to treat her. You, okay, you know what? I, I'm not going to I'm not gonna kick him while he's down, but just, that's, that's just Kind of bullshit, up. yeah. Yeah, totally, man. I mean, you you got a good kid. It's not like your daughter's coming home and going, hey, I'm all drunk and I just had an orgy. She's fucking doing good kid things. Well, and I, I have to say a, a little foreshadowing. Had he not been so strict like that things might be different oh totally totally Um, totally her school spirit was just so awesome said carla hayes an editor for the school newspaper the mansfield uproar bestowing upon adrian one of the greatest compliments a high school girl could receive i guess your blouse looks great and got big tits i could see her becoming a cheerleader someday oh okay no that's right okay (laughs) we're good she also managed to work 20 hours a week at Golden Fried Chicken, a local fast food restaurant. Dude, and her dad. Was, yeah. Some fucking parents, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't feel bad as a parent now. Like, seriously. I mean, I've made my share of mistakes, but I wasn't sitting there. But come on. Nailing kids' goddamn windows closed going, hey, I know you're a good kid, but, you know, just in case you ever think of fucking But I still out. don't trust you. Yeah, I don't trust you because apparently you're a kid and you're going to go out and, you know. You're a girl. <laughs> it's ridiculous, yeah. man. Adrian thrived on attention, especially when it came from the teenage boys around town. One of Adrian's closest friends, Tracy Bumpus. <laughs> I just That's fucking awesome. Yes. That is my next dog's gonna be named Bumpus. Bumpuses. Or, that's what uh, I think of from Christmas or, story. Or um, God, what's his name? What was his name? Nissette? Arnfin. Arfin. That's, yes. that, that's my next dog's name, too. It's gonna be that name makes more sense for a dog than it does for a human. <laughs> that it does. You watch, man. Eventually, let me get myself another dog, probably after my little twat bag of a dog who hates other dogs dies. And I'm going to name it Orphan. <laughs> so her friend, uh, Tracy Bumpus, called her a big flirt. 
Linda Jones, a chatty blonde who worked during the day as a massage therapist in a Mansfield hair salon, said her daughter would spend two hours putting on makeup just to make it look like she wasn't wearing any. You know the great thing about girls like her is, with that kind of a dad, they end up with daddy issues and they date 48-year-old dudes who are perverts. (laughs) I don't want to mention any names, but uh, one of those... (laughs) <laughs> might be behind the microphone right now because like dude like when i was in my 30s i dated this chick who was like a month away from her 18th birthday which i didn't quite know that she was 17 till after the fact but mm-hmm. uh yeah total daddy issues it was wonderful it was great and i'm a perf i just i feed right into that shit i'm not like chasing around like little girls or anything no but but uh yeah yeah this is for another show <laughs> yeah totally yeah. <laughs> um when I asked her why she went to such trouble to put on to put her makeup on before she went out of the house, she said, "Mom, you never know who you might meet." And I've actually said that to my mother before because she's always like, "This isn't a fashion show." Yeah, it is. Like, but Drew- I give what I give a shit. Okay. Hey, man, Drew Barrymore can meet me on the street at any moment and go, "Today's your day. We're gonna bang." I mean, hell yes, we are. Get in line. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to fight me for Drew Barrymore. <laughs> oh, man. I'll tell you what. Man. I, you know, I'm, I'm not the kind that gets starstruck. Like, I don't look at, like, the supermodels like, you know, Cindy Crawford and things like that. Yeah. Although Kathy Ireland's kind of hot. Drew Barrymore, that's who does it for me. I tell yep. you what, man. I, I would seriously let her beat me half to death. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 She, she could literally do... Damn near anything. Anything. Okay, we're good. Uh, And there were plenty of high school guys who wanted to meet her. They'd slowly cruise by the Joneses' house. A few of the courageous ones would pull into the driveway to talk to Adrian, who would be waiting for them in the front yard, casting quick glances toward the front door to see if her father was watching them. I'm sure lots of guys really liked Adrian," said Sydney Jones, a friend and former soccer teammate. She was pulling into her driveway saying, hey, baby, do you like fat guys with big trucks? (laughs) It is Texas. Uh, She was the kind of girl who would say hi to you in the hallway at school, even if you didn't know her. Oh, damn. So she was a good kid. She was nice. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's fucked up that bad things happen to really nice people. Like as, As many jokes as I'm making with daddy issues and shit. That's just, that's fucked up. Yeah. It was precisely Adrian's popularity that was going to make the investigation into her murder so difficult. Because Adrian's body had been found in the outskirts of the Dallas suburb Grand Prairie, detectives from that city's police department, Dennis Clay and Dennis Meyer, the Dennises, <laughs> and their boss, Deputy Police Chief Brad Geary, were put in charge of the case. I was hoping you say Dennis something. Right. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, okay, it's the Department of Dennises. Okay, Dennis it's, to the third power. It's the Department of D. <laughs> I knew you'd like that one. <laughs> triple D. That's right. Hey, look at the triple Ds are coming. Yes. I'd be looking for boobs going, oh, those. The oh, dentists. it's those oh. dudes, yeah. I'd be looking at you guys going, you guys are dicks, man. I was looking for tits. <laughs> and that's what I got. I got three dentists. That's, that's, that's great. Thanks, guys. I'm going to go cry now in the corner. <laughs> Adults who are murdered rarely have more than a couple of dozen people close to them, but a high school student crosses paths with hundreds of other students every day. And it be- quickly became clear to the detectives that Adrian knew her, her killer or killers. There was no sign at the crime scene that she had struggled. There were no marks that her hands or legs had been restrained. 
nor was there any indication that someone had broken into her house or had gone through her window to abduct her. Furthermore, an autopsy found no evidence that Adrian had been sexually assaulted, which meant that this was not the act of a rapist. The fuck? Yeah, that's pretty damn for bizarre. Once. <laughs> yeah, for once. Yeah, for once. That's actually good, man. Yeah. Because well, we, we, we do so many rapes of people that, of course, are prostitutes, but of everything from kids to old ladies. Yeah. It's while I'm sad that Adrian is dead. Yes. I'm thankful that at least in this case right here, she wasn't raped. That didn't happen first. Yeah. yeah pre or post mortem. Right. Adrian's death, the cops realized, was more like an execution. The result of some colossal fury. As one investigator would later say, it takes a cold-blooded person to shoot a pretty young girl in the face from two to four feet away. That girl was mangled and it was sickening to look at. It was a story that would eventually send shockwaves across the entire country. A terrifying macabre tale that would have people everywhere asking what had happened to the best and brightest of America's youth. At the start, however, Adrian Jones's murder was just another killing in a small town because so much local media attention was then focused on the kidnapping and brutal murder of a little girl named Amber Hagerman in Arlington. Adrian's death barely made the front pages of the Dallas-Fort Worth newspapers. In a society long accustomed to drive-by shootings and metal detectors at school entrances, Dead teenagers didn't warrant the press that they once did. See, that's still fucked up, man. Yes, it is. But within Mansfield itself, the news had residents reeling. High school administrators set up special rooms for students to meet with counselors. A tree was planted in memory of Adrian next to the junior varsity soccer field. And more than 150 of her classmates joined hands around the tree and shouted, Unity, Strength, and Courage. Some residents wore ribbons in her memory, and a small cross made from two branches wrapped with red electrical wire was placed where her body had been discovered. After the family held a private funeral for Adrian at the Methodist Church, Linda Jones agreed to allow the cross-country and soccer teams to come to the church for a second memorial service. On the altar was a glamorous color photo of Adrian, taken a few weeks earlier, that Linda had planned to give her for Christmas. Try to remember the good things about Adrian, she said in a spontaneous eulogy, trying to bolster the spirits of the students. Do you remember the way she walked with that bubble butt of hers? <laughs> Thanks, Mom. <laughs> That's actually fucking funny. <laughs> like, so I, I hope you guys, like, whenever, if I check out before y'all do, I hope you guys say some funny shit at my funeral. Of course we will. Like, for real. I, I've said it a million times. I, I, I hope that nobody sits around and cries. Scott was a great guy. He was just... We're going to miss him. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Knock that fucking shit off right the hell there. You know, tell tell funny stories, man. Say funny yeah. shit. His yeah. ass was, he always said his ass was bigger than a pack of mules. He had <laughs> and more we'll ass, drink. <laughs> that's right. He had, more ass, he had more ass than a pack of mules than he loved to drink, like kind of a lot. Kind of a lot. <laughs> but he didn't do heroin, so that's good. <laughs> right. You have to draw the line somewhere. That's right, man. I got standards, man. Yep. I was like, I'll never inject. (laughs) (laughs) Never. Um, Wait a minute. According to what I've heard, you've been injected. Well, oh, you met with true. Never mind. (laughs) Never mind. Never mind. My my bad. My bad. Nearly. (laughs) Yes, it is. That's right. It's a. It's my mood stabilizer. It's it's the true vitamin D. (laughs) Yes. 
Nearly crazed with grief, Linda consulted psychics to try and find out what had happened to Adrian. Oh my God, did they go to Zamora? (laughs) (laughs) Well, in a matter of speaking. Oh shit, okay, I'll keep my goddamn mouth shut then. (laughs) (laughs) She made sure to wear some item of her daughter's almost every day, either a piece of clothing or her shoes or her makeup. At night, she and Bill left the light on in Adrian's bedroom as if hoping their daughter would find her way back home. Yeah, you don't want her to... I, She'll come back as something dark and unnatural. And that's what I was going to say. Hey, their parents, do you realize that you don't want her to come back? Because that's how zombies happen. That's do exactly you want zombies? Right. You don't want zombies. Nobody wants zombies. That's how zombies happen. Knock that shit off. Yeah. Don't take her to the pet cemetery or anything like that. <laughs> motherfuckers, we don't need that shit. Kids drove past the house, staring through the open curtains, able to see Adrian's vanity where she had put on her makeup, her stereo, and her bookcase, which still held... <laughs> a couple of her Stephen King novels. There's your pet cemetery. You know what? I tie in. <laughs> I wish she was still alive, man. I'm kind of. She's kind. Of, that's kind of hot. She likes horror. She's hot. She's got a bubble butt. I'm fucking. I'm all for that. The, the, yes. the sports thing kind of bugs me because yeah, I don't. I don't like yeah, sports. I but, don't either. You know, I'll take one for the team. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. I shouldn't be making fun of dead people, especially dead teenagers. That's fucked up. We do, we, that's what we do all the time. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> hey, little girl. Oh, no, no. I don't <laughs> want zombies either. Never mind. No. I'll pass on that. Among the nearly uh, 2,500 students at Mansfield High, it didn't take long for the rumors to start flying. A lot of us had this weird feeling that the killer was walking the halls with us, said April Grossman, a friend of Adrian's who also ran cross country and played on the soccer team. Those of us who were really close to Adrian were scared because we thought she might have been killed because of something she knew. Or that she'd come back as a zombie. Or that. Because she likes Stephen King. <laughs> I'm, seeing, I'm, I'm, I'm picking up what you're laying down. You got Stephen <laughs> King, you got Pet Cemetery. They said, oh, we're hoping that she just comes home. Home, this yeah. Is, I, I think that this should have been on a different podcast, like about <laughs> horror movies and yes. shit. Just a little, little, little scared myself because then... She's going to bite somebody in Texas, and that's how the zombie virus spreads. That's, what is patient number one there? Uh-huh. Patient, patient zero. zero. Sorry, that's right, because I've yes. seen Resident Evil. <laughs> nope. No thank you. Yeah, it's like, that's a hard pass for me. I don't need no Resident Evil shit in my no. neighborhood. Uh, and we thought, well, will the killer come after us, thinking that Adrian had told us the secret? Some kids said that they had heard that Adrian used to slip out of the house to attend all-night rave parties as far away as Denton, an hour's drive north of Mansfield. Sweet. She's getting her teenage swerve on, man. I'm, all, I'm, all, I'm actually all for that, man. And, uh, you know, at least... Maybe if you had trusted her, she had told you where she was going. Oh, exactly. You know, we just did uh, Robert Michael Beaver. We see what happens when you watch your kids too fucking too closely. Too much, yep. Get two little goddamn psychos that are ordering Kevlar vests, yeah. masks, knives, and a bazooka or whatever the fuck they ordered and wiping out the family. Yeah. Maybe they whispered someone she met at a rave had wanted to kill her. Others said that they had heard that she knew drug dealers. There was so much gossip about the boys Adrian had been with that Linda went so far as to tell one reporter that her daughter was no sleep around. There was even a preposterous story that a close girlfriend of Adrian's had wanted to kill her because Adrian had told that girl's mother about her getting drunk at a party. About the only thing we didn't hear, Bill said, was that Adrian had been abducted by aliens. I it, yes. it's, it's Texas. That could have happened. It's I possible. Mean, just saying, weirder shit's happened in fucking great state of Texas. Yeah. 
still for the investigators in the case who had come to include the Mansfield police, a Texas ranger, and extra Grand Prairie, Prairie detectives. Hold on. Was it Walker? It could have been Walker, ranger? Texas ranger. That's right, man. You get Chuck Norris on that shit. He's going to find out what happened. That's right. Well, but if he was, this this would be a short episode. And yes. then they caught both the people, and boom, it's, it's Chuck Norris. Yeah. <laughs> that's right, walkers, runners, thrillers, and Texas Rangers. That's fun. I think that's going to be the song on the next album. I'm going to call nice. it uh, Walkers, Strutters, and Texas Rangers. I like it. Adrian's murder had all the makings of a high school whodunit. Although the Texas Education Agency had named Mansfield High a mentor school, a distinction given only to the best high schools in the state, the teenagers there were like teenagers anywhere, their lives often driven by insecurities yearnings and a provincial restlessness wavering oh in that territory that lies between childhood and adulthood the students tried on and discarded different selves as quickly as they went through blue jeans always searching for the perfect fit it was here that they confronted raw new emotions like their own budding sexuality and here that they first attempted to make their way through such moral dilemmas as whether to do it or not. Sitting outside the high school in their unmarked cars watching students troop in and out, the detectives prepared themselves to enter the humid realm of adolescence. <laughs> I like that. The humid realm, yes. They talked to school officials about the students who had a knack for minor trouble. They asked other kids if they knew anyone who was jealous of or angry at Adrian. Humid. Yes. I heard that, man. The humid realm of I adolescence. I remember what it was like when I was a teenager, man. It got very, very humid in the yeah. back of my uh, 76 Camaro. <laughs> Within days, they had compiled a long list of kids they wanted to talk to. Bill and Linda Jones had told the police that on the night of Adrian's death, they had reluctantly allowed her to talk on the phone past her usual 10 o'clock cutoff time. Yeah. Her new boyfriend, Tracy Smith, had been out of town that weekend with his parents, and he didn't call until 10.30. Bill and Linda didn't know Tracy that well. He was a large kid who was built like a lineman on a college football team, and he went to high school in the nearby town of Venus. Apparently, he and Adrian had met just a couple of months earlier at the Golden Fried Chicken. <laughs> Bill told Adrian she could talk to Tracy, but only for a few minutes. While I sit there and listen and monitor your fucking conversation. There I was ordering a chicken basket, and yeah. I saw her. <laughs> it was love at first crunch. The way that she battered the chicken, deep fried it. <laughs> I was in love. I said, I'm going to marry her. <laughs> That's the one. Oh, my God. During that call... Linda heard her daughter say, hold on, there's someone on the other line. Kids today have no idea. <laughs> Adrian punched the call waiting button and spoke quietly for a minute, then clicked back over and finished her conversation with Tracy. Who was that who called in, Linda later asked. According to Linda, Adrian replied, oh, that was David from Cross Country, and he's upset about something. And he has a big penis. <laughs> Sorry, my bad. <laughs> After talking with Tracy, Adrian went to her room. At 10.45, Linda Jones saw that Adrian was still awake, ironing her pants for school the next day. She seemed sort of antsy, Linda said. Linda told her to turn off the lights and go to bed. Antsy and her pantsy. 
Sometime after midnight, one of Adrian's younger brothers heard the constrained rumble of a slow-moving engine outside the house. When he looked out the window, he saw what he thought was a pickup truck driving away. The next morning, Adrian was nowhere to be found, and Linda and Bill thought she might have risen early to go running. (coughs) Excuse me. But when they discovered her running shoes in her bedroom, they got anxious. Linda called Leon Burke, the cross-country coach at Mansfield High, and asked, Who is someone named David on the cross-country team? Well, there's David Graham, Burke replied. Adrian's missing, Linda said, and I think he called her last night. Burke was baffled. She didn't even know David and Adrian were friends. David, a senior, was a decent cross-country athlete, but he was best known around the school for his position as battalion commander of the school's junior ROTC program. Burke sent April Grossman to David's second period class to ask him if he had called Adrian the previous night. David stared at April as if she were not making sense. Did I talk to Adrian? No. Why would I? Well, as, because she's hot and <laughs> she has a bubble butt and you want her to be the your, the cheerleader. You want of your it dreams. all up in that? Yeah, you want it all up in that. Dude, it's a no shame in that game there, David. I'm telling you, man. Like every every high school kid looks at at least one or two or ten or thirty chicks in his <laughs> school and goes, mm, I tap it. Yeah. As their investigation began, the detectives did conduct a perfunctory interview with David Graham, but they were so certain he was not involved that they didn't even try to give him a polygraph test. For one thing, David's name was not among the 30 or so listed in Adrian's personal phone book, nor did the detectives hear the name mentioned by any of Adrian's friends when they asked who might have had a close relationship with her. In fact, Tracy Bumpus said that Adrian told her of all her deepest, darkest secrets, but not once did she ever talk about David. Besides, David had supposedly been seen with tears in his eyes at the memorial service, seemingly stunned like everyone else that Adrian was gone. Few students considered themselves good friends with David. We all knew him, but we really didn't know him, you know, said Kenny Grant, whose locker was next to David's throughout high school. And he certainly was not part of the school's most popular crowd. Still, he intrigued other kids with his military burr haircut and <coughs> ramrod posture. <laughs> he That's se- called stick-in-the-butt disease. <laughs> yes. He seemed to be a throwback to a different era. The youngest of four children, David lived with his father, Jerry Graham, a retired Mansfield Elementary School principal. He was divorced from David's mother, Janice, a former teacher who lived in Houston. <laughs> That was my asshole dog. <laughs> At the age of seven, after seeing his first air show, David told his father he wanted to become an Air Force pilot, and he never wavered from his dream. Although ROTC students at Mansfield High were usually the subjects of jokes, we thought of all of them in their green uniforms as sort of geeky, one girl said, it was clear that David was going places. He was a National Merit Commended student, just below the rank of National Merit semi-finalist 
and Congressman Martin Frost had agreed to support his application to enroll the next fall in the U.S. Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. Some of the more sarcastic guys in school would address him as Colonel Graham, said Jennifer Skinner, (laughs) who sat near David in a government class his senior year. But you could tell that they sort of said it out of respect. Added another classmate, David Brennan. He could fall asleep during class and then wake up and still answer the teacher's questions. God damn. Yeah. David Graham might have seemed tailor-made for the military. When he and others in the ROTC squadron presented the colors before the football games, he stood so perfectly still that people tended to watch him instead of the flag. Holy shit. But he never came across as one of those overly aggressive G.I. Joe types. He quit the football team after his freshman year because it was said he didn't have the necessary ferocity to make it in Texas high school football. What's more, girls liked him for his courtly manners. Angel Lockhart, who... (laughs) Swear to God, I know somebody with that name. Who was on the girls' cross-country team said David gave her rides home a few times after cross-country practice, and he always acted like a gentleman. Plenty of girls would have dated David. He was one of the last cool guys on Earth, a girl who served with David in the Mansfield High ROTC would later tell a reporter. Uh, (coughs) Sorry. Sorry, I need a drink. Take a drink and a deep breath. Everything will be all right. (coughs) You doing okay? Yeah. (coughs) God. Uh, But what few of them knew was that he already had a girlfriend. Her name was Diane Zamora, and she was a high school senior in the nearby town of Crowley. Singing the same thing, Mr. Crowley by Ozzy. She was just as smart as David, and she was equally determined to get into one of the U.S. military academies. She was a member of the Student Council, the Key Club, the National Honor Society, (laughs) and the Masters of the Universe, a science organization. (laughs) That is freaking awesome. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? By the power of Grayskull. (laughs) She played flute in this sense. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's true. That's, uh, yeah. Oh, oh, by yeah. the power of gray matter. <clears throat> um, she played flute in the marching band. Skin flute. <laughs> that's super fun. And like David, she ran on her high school's cross-country team. When you looked at the two of them together, one of Diane's relatives said, you just knew that a great future was ahead of them. The first major suspect to emerge in Adrian's murder was a Mansfield teenager who lived in a trailer park and already had something of a reputation around Blame town. Blame the trailer park kids. God mm-hmm. damn it, man. Leave little Jethro, Billy, James, Joe, Bodine, NASCAR alone. <laughs> A year before, she thought her boyfriend had had a sexual encounter with one of Adrian's closest girlfriends. In the trailer park. Quite possibly. According to the... Yeah, yeah. That's right, man. It's trailer park 11, man. It's it's, it's, brings tear to my eyes. Romantic. Very (laughs) romantic. 
according to police records, uh, Tara, which is not her real name, attacked the girl with a baseball bat, hitting her over the head, breaking her cheekbone, and leaving her with a concussion. Holy Christ. She's not messing around. Tara also shot and wounded her boyfriend. What the fuck? (laughs) Damn. A restraining order was filed against Tara to keep her out of school and away from the girl she had attacked. Well, you think? Yeah. At the hearing, Adrian testified for her friend. Tara, in turn, allegedly told Adrian, I'll get you for this. And your little dog, too. (laughs) It's funny you said that, so I was thinking the same thing. (laughs) Some students were convinced Tara was the killer. She fit their picture of what a killer would be. A surly, aimless individual far removed from the mainstream of suburban teenage life who had already shown her willingness to use a gun and a bat. But the police discovered that Tara had a solid alibi and she passed a polygraph test. Although Bill and Linda told the police they were suspicious of Adrian's boyfriend, Tracy Smith, Linda said he had never tried to contact the family after Adrian's killing. He, ever, too, passed a polygraph. You ever seen the movie Seven? Yeah. Yep. Just you saying that and her passing the polygraph test reminds me of when Kevin Spacey, <laughs> when they're driving out to the desert and they see the dead dog and goes, I didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Tracy did, however... Give the police another clue. He said that Adrian had told him that it was someone named Brian who had clicked through on the phone that night. She had never mentioned David. She had said that Brian was depressed and wanted to meet her that night to talk. The detectives uh, then learned that a Mansfield teenager named Brian McMillan worked at an Eckerd's near Subway near a Subway shop where Adrian once worked. According to Adrian's friends and family, Brian had become infatuated with Adrian and often dropped by the subway to see her. He began to bother her so much that when she saw him coming, she started ducking her head behind the counter, Linda Jones said. The investigators' suspicions were heightened when they discovered that the 17-year-old Brian took four kinds of medication to battle symptoms of clinical depression. You know what? I don't kill people once again. Well, we don't know. Well, you don't know that. No, that's true. (laughs) You only have to go by what I say. Trust y'all, but there might be some day where you're calling me going, hey, look, you need to come and meet up with John and I because (laughs) dead bodies are falling out of the cupboards and (laughs) get rid of this shit. This guy hit in the head with a set of legs. They asked him to come to the police station for an interview. According to an affidavit, Brian first said he didn't know an Adrian Jones. Then he admitted that he did. Detective asked him if he had talked to Adrian the night she was murdered. Brian said he could have he could have talked to her, but he didn't remember. He'd been drinking that night for the first time in six months, he said, and had become intoxicated. When asked why he had been drinking, Brian said he had gotten upset because all of his friends had found girlfriends, but he hadn't. He told detectives he felt like the odd man out. You know what he needs? He needs to get on Wish. They sell half torsos. They sell all kinds of shit on Wish. I am loving Wish in my fucking news uh, in my in my feed on Facebook because <laughs> yes. they never disappoint. I no, see things on there that you know are of a sexual nature, and even I look at it and go, "I what? How? 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 That's that's my." What why? I think is funny is like scrolling through. Like I haven't 
looked for anything. It's just showing me stuff that it thinks I would like, which is all this normal stuff. And then all of a sudden it'll be like, wow, there's that in there. Yeah. No, exactly. Just in case. No, it's done that to me. If I've gotten a car, I come across some musical shit and stuff like that, and all of a sudden like a giant dildo. Yeah. Like, huh. Yeah, because apparently wish things that I like guitars, amps, and dildos. Yeah, right. All goes together. All goes together. <laughs> It wasn't hard for the police to put this scenario together. A lonely boy, unable to get the beautiful blonde from the high school to pay attention to him, devising a way to meet her late at night, then losing control. The detectives bored in, asking Brian if he had gone to Adrian's house that night. Brian said he might have. He said it was also possible he could have taken her somewhere. He just didn't remember, he said. Well, that's... Brian, buddy, I've had those days too, so I don't fault (laughs) you, bud. I'm right there with you. A week later, in the pre-dawn hours of December 15th, 1995, police officers armed with guns and a search warrant arrived at Brian's house. He was arrested for murder, and his pickup truck was impounded. This time, the story made the front pages of the newspaper, but several of Brian's friends defended him, saying that he was a gentle, slightly baffled kid who would never resort to violence. Brian's father insisted that the night of the murder, Brian came home and never left the house. Finally, after Brian had spent Christmas and New Year's Eve in jail... Jesus Christ. Yeah, they held him for a while. That's fucked up, man. Let Brian go. Yeah. Let Brian go. (laughs) A lead prosecutor in the district attorney's office arranged for a polygraph after that long. God. Even though everyone else right right away took a polygraph. Yeah, that's fucked up. So let let me get this right. They give a crazy chick who bashed a chick's head in with a fucking... With a baseball bat and shot her boyfriend. Yeah. She gets one like right off the bat. Yep, yep. And then poor Brian's sitting there going, I thought this is because I was like downloading illegal music or something. <laughs> I didn't, Piracy I, is not a victimless crime. I'm going to sit here in jail? Murder? I didn't kill anybody. I mean, I murdered a few songs, but that you was know. it. He not only passed, but he passed with flying colors. Be like, and lawsuit. Big time. Yeah. Brian's release triggered more rumors, but no other suspects emerged. Because Adrian's brother had said that he had seen a pickup truck, the police ran computer checks to find any student who owned one. What do you hear the stupid thing? You're in fucking Texas. Right. Your brother Doesn't saw everybody a have truck. a truck? Yeah. 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 It's kind of a thing there. Yeah. It's not like you're in like New York City. Where you go, hey, everybody's got smaller cars. You know, the if they have a car here. at all. Yeah, <laughs> like most people walk or they drive really small cars, you know? Mm-hmm. That's that's understandable. You're in fucking Texas. Like, if you don't have a pickup, ten of your neighbors do, do yeah. have pickups. I saw a pickup. That's all I know. <laughs> it, dumbass. Yeah. Well, let's arrest him because he's got a pickup. What, the fuck? what else did he have? Like, hair? Yeah, he had hair. It gotta <laughs> he be He had eyes. <laughs> he had eyes, and he, I, I'm pretty sure he had ears. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, 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 that's your guy. That's, he's guilty. Throw, throw him in prison. It never occurred to anyone that the vehicle her brother had seen might not have been involved in the murder. <laughs> Could have been one of the other fucking 50 yeah. million goddamn trucks in Texas. Nor, apparently, did anyone guess that Adrian had told Tracy about a Brian to keep him from learning about her relationship with someone else. Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. See, um, she's yeah. a good girl, but I bet you she's being a bad girl on the side. Because she's repressed. <laughs> well, then, let's be honest, man. When, when, you're, when you're in high school and you're a teenager, 
once you get a taste of sex, uh-huh. that's kind of a good thing. It's, you know, that, that's like, uh, I've said this a million times. Like, I didn't have sex until later in my teens. And once I discovered it at that party, I discovered two things. I love beer and God damn it, I love vaginas. <laughs> <laughs> they are like, that is my magic carpet right there, whether they're shaved or not. Right. That sims me up totally. <laughs> oh, one hundred percent. And now I'm thinking about fucking pewter spoons and uh, <laughs> and all the fun, to do, <laughs> all the fun I can have with that. Yes. Oh, you just wait. You're going to be getting some stories after my vacation. Oh, I'm sure. I'm pretty sure that you guys are going to get looks like, what the fuck were you and Scott talking, talking about? about? <laughs> the hell is wrong with? What did you, you say? He showed up with like well, spoons. <laughs> That's what I fucking tell him. Yeah, you yeah, know. Listen to the fucking podcast, yeah. bitch. There was clues right there. You fucked yourself. Not our fault. <laughs> <laughs> Only months later would Tina Dollar, the manager at the Golden Fried Chicken. That's a good name for her. <laughs> like, she works at the Golden Fried Chicken. You know, pretty sure they got a dollar menu. Yeah. I see a connection. Uh, she remembered that Adrian had once pulled a small photo of a boy out of her wallet and showed it to her. His name is David, Adrian had said. David Graham and Diane Zamora first met about four years before Adrian Jones's murder when their parents began dropping them off at a small airfield south of Fort Worth. They went there for weekly meetings of the Civil Air Patrol, an Air Force auxiliary, auxiliary organization that teaches the basics of the military life and leads search and rescue missions for downed aircraft. But there was no romance between them in their younger years. Despite her good looks, Diane was careful around guys. She did have a boyfriend during her sophomore year in high school, but the relationship was not particularly heated. When the two went out for dinner on Valentine's Day, Diane asked to be taken home at 8.30 because she needed to study. She kept, See, she's not a bad kid. <laughs> she kept telling us she wanted to focus on her studies and her goals instead of guys, said her aunt, Sylvia Gonzalez. And she always made it a point to tell us she was never going to lose her virginity unless she got married. Because they're probably Catholic. <laughs> uh, when yeah. two of her cousins got pregnant in high school, she said she couldn't believe how stupid they were. Okay, I want to point out that none of those kids are mine either. <laughs> okay, I'm... I'm I, 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 I didn't bang him, but I don't think I... You know what? Carry on. I'm confused. She swore that uh, nothing like that would happen to her. (laughs) In the world of high school sexual skirmishes, Diane firmly put herself into the camp of good girls. A girl who goes too far, she would often say to her family, gets called a slut. When she realized during her sophomore year that her boyfriend was bent on having sex with her, she dumped him. See, I'm a straight-out whore. I don't call myself a slut at all. I'm very whorish. <laughs> that's my that, that, no, that that's like my nationality now. I'm not even going to say that I'm Greek anymore. I'm whorish. <laughs> I should be getting paid for it because I, I give 110 percent, man. 110 percent. That's awesome. Yeah, fuck yeah. Because to me, it should be an event. You know, kind of like at a at, at a buffet. Try a little bit of everything. It took me until I was 39 years old to find that. Holy shit. Yeah. God dang. So I'm very, I count myself very lucky <laughs> and stupid for wasting almost 30 years, but. Oh, yeah. That was the best of us. Yeah. Uh, Diane's father, Carlos, a kind, soft spoken man, 
was an electrician. Her mother, Gloria, was a registered nurse. The family was deeply religious. Gloria was the daughter of a minister who led a non-denominational Spanish-speaking church on the south side of Fort Worth. Gloria, her five sisters, and their families never missed Sunday services, and after church, the entire Zamora clan would gather for lunch at a cafeteria. Well, praise the Lord. See, another story of good Christian people (laughs) doing good Christian things and good Christian works across all of Texas and all over the U.S. Hallelujah, sister. Hallelujah. Diane was the eldest of the Zamora's four children and the most driven. When she was nine years old, she announced to her family that she wanted to become an astronaut. She sent off for NASA brochures, and by high school, she was keeping a spiral notebook containing a list of achievements she had to accomplish to get a college scholarship. I think gynecologists and proctologists should be called astronauts. (laughs) (laughs) Just my thought. Random thoughts. She knew exactly what her grade point... Yeah. She's right, an astronaut. Um, she knew exactly what her grade point average and SAT scores needed to be. She carried a knapsack full of school books everywhere in case she got stranded and had some time to fill. At Crowley High School, Diane was not one of the social girls who gathered between periods in the school's chalky smelling hallways to swap gossip. Okay, I gotta defend her on that because, like, in high school, um, well, I mean, I wasn't unpopular by any means at all. I didn't like, I, I hung around like two or three different people and that was it. I was more focused seriously on, on music and academics because I knew that I needed scholarships to go to college. Right, right. <laughs> I knew that that wasn't going to, because that, that was before my, my family came into any kind of money at all. Yeah. And I knew that like, if I was to go to even like a junior college, I would have to work like 50 jobs. Right. And sell my soul and probably get blowjobs in parking lots. <laughs> because I don't know if y'all realize how, well, John does, but uh, how expensive books are for, co- it's the dumbest thing, man. Like, you'll, you'll need a book and it's only like, let's say, it's like 110 pages. But it's like almost $400. Yeah. 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 And it's a used book. It's yeah. all battered and fucked yep. up. And people have already marked in the creases. And you're, oh, we have a used one. This one here is, uh, let's see, $5 million. And you're like, I, I, I need it for like one fucking class. Yeah. That's not even really necessary to even have this class, except it's required to get this degree. Mm-hmm. Stupid. Fucking stupid. I agree. Charge you 400 bucks for a 50 cent book. While she was not considered unfriendly, she was known around school as someone who kept to herself. She didn't have a whole lot to say, one student said. Maybe she's just introverted. I know exactly how that is. Me um, too. I am very introverted. Bullshit. Of people. <laughs> very, very shy. Um, you know, yeah. I, I, I would never dream of exposing myself to anybody or talking about sex. Never. Because, you know, the, the Lord tells me that I should pray. <laughs> about it a lot and do good Christian things for good Christian people. Amen. She preferred associating with the smart kids at school. Smart girl. Homework buddies, she called them, and she was determined to become an academic star. Late in her junior year, when she posed for her high school graduation picture, she asked that she be allowed to wear the special tassel for being in the top percent, top 10% of her senior class even though she had no idea at the time whether she would achieve that honor. 
Diane said she wanted to have the photograph as a way to keep her motivated. Diane did end up in the top 10% of her senior class. Gloria Zamora told her friends that the reason Diane worked so diligently was because she knew her parents could not afford to send her to a good college. Oh, Diane, sweetheart, if you hear this, like, seriously, I know that you're our killer, but I fucking totally get it. Get it, yeah. Like I, like I was just saying, I totally get it. I'll be honest, man. Had I not gotten a full-ride scholarship <coughs> for three degrees, I would have never had been able to do it. Right. Either that or I'd still be in, like, student debt up to my ass. Yeah. Because... uh I remember seriously, like some of my psychology books were like three, four, five, six hundred dollars. Absolutely ridiculous. You know, you can get them for like a hundred, two hundred dollars if you got ones that were like in bad condition mm-hmm. used books. But it's shitty when you're like, oh, we have none of those. You have to buy a brand new one, and we have to, you know, you'll sell your soul. And you're like, no, motherfucker, I've got scholarships. Yeah. No shit. Yeah. Is it online? There was a website. Ah, that's why. Like India. Right, right. John was just saying that he found books for like 10 bucks. They can get them from India and shit like that. But when, when I was going in college, through college, we didn't have the internet. You know, that was yep. before AOL even existed or any anything. I graduated college with my first degree in 94. I'm trying to think. 93. 93 was my first degree. And uh, then I finished up college in like 97, 96. I have to look. God damn, I'm fucking old. I, you know <laughs> what, you know what makes me feel old? Is I, start, I start seeing when these kids were like in high school or, you know, or just being born in like the 90s. And I, that wasn't that long ago. Then I started thinking, I graduated college about the time you motherfuckers were born. Fuck yep. you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. I need to go back to doing drugs, guys. I just got informed that the 60s and 90s is 30 years. Fucking egg. God damn. It's the same. Oh, fuck. Yeah. That's a good point. That's, yeah. now yeah no that that that's that's right because uh my first ex-wife and i who i talk to all the time we're talking and uh we met when i was 19 and we're going on 30 years of knowing each other uh 30 years next year or 30 years this year holy shit i'm 48 <laughs> you know what time I'm, flies you just keep going i'm gonna sit over here and cry a little bit <laughs> i'm old as fuck how the fuck did that happen that's a bullshit yeah. yeah we, we fucking that's right. We fucking blinked and we be, all became old. Fuck this shit. God damn. <laughs> this fuck is the this. reason why they talk about the good old days because they don't know it's over. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's very accurate. I just, this is just, this is fucked. Just keep, I'm gonna, I, I need a moment. So, I just, I'm dead high school yes. Yeah. My, I, I need a moment to kind of. When her father got laid off from work, Diane watched Gloria take on two nursing jobs a day and then sell Mary Kay cosmetics on the side to help pay the family's bills. Damn, you go, Gloria. Now, honest to God, man, I fucking respect that like a motherfucker. Yeah. Honey, you stepped up, Miss Gloria, and you fucking, you did what you had to do. That's that's fucking amazing. At one point, the electricity was cut off in their small house for more than a week. Diane, in fucking Texas? Yeah, Diane studied by candlelight. 
But even with her ambition, Diane was still a teenager, filled with the same impulses and longings as any other girl her age. While she kept Civil Air Patrol military fatigues in her closet, she also had a collection of teddy bears on her bed. She took an after-school job at Fast Forward, a store oriented to teenage girls, because she liked the discount she could get on hip clothes. Oh, this is the, this, well, she listened to both contemporary Christian music. There's the problem. There's a catalyst. I figured it out. Uh, yeah. The, the, this right here is my professional opinion, since I do have that degree. That's, that's, that's the cause. You start listening to, no, uh, in all seriousness, when you get wrapped so far up to, and this is any religion, it's, you know, I pick on Christians and Catholics and shit like that, but it's, no, it really is. You know, the only way you get your, your reward is to fucking die. Mm-hmm. You know, it's. That's my dog kill us. Yes, I want sex cults, not death cults. I'm going to start one. I think we're going to call it the Twisted Blue fucking de- uh, <laughs> sex cult. <laughs> so she was also listening to Pearl Jam. She was listening to popular music oh, and. No, that's fucked. Now, hold on. Now, stop, stop right Contemporary there. Christian music. <laughs> I was just listening to the album 10 all last week because I've been on a Pearl Jam kick. And I, that, to me, that's the best album, is 10. Um, out of them all, yeah. Everything else, I mean, which was kind of depressing when they came out with their uh, with their their second album. Dude, ten was so good. No, was that on the second album? I thought that was on the third. I can't remember. But uh, fucking, when I bought that second album when it first came out, and I listened to it, uh, what, what, huh? <laughs> this isn't like bring back what you did in ten because ten was good. <laughs> Oh, well, fuck. Oh, okay. I didn't even know they were in the movie. Fuck. That's the, they were in that. That was the whole fucking thing. And, like, while they were doing that, and Soundgarden was, was like, really edgy. Right, right, right. I remember Soundgarden, yeah. And they did the Temple of the Dog, and then everything else went downhill. Yeah, that's just that second album. Every other album I had, yeah, but after that was just dog shit, man. <laughs> I listen to 10, I, I get on that kick and I'll just listen to 10 over and over and over again because there's actually a song on there that I love, and it's called Garden. I love the song Garden. Uh, it's not a really popular song. Black is good. Garden comes right after Black on the album. I and never really liked Pearl Jam. I'm sorry. What the fuck is wrong with you? I know. You know what? No, no, no. no, no, no. That's not right. That's true. Mm-hmm. I'll give it that. I saw Eddie Vedder when he was getting inducted into the uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and he's got constant vibrato to his voice, so you couldn't understand what he was saying. All I could we're really happy to be in the Hall of Fame, and dude, ease up on your vibrato when you're fucking talking. You're not yeah. singing, motherfucker. <laughs> so yeah, she was listening to contemporary Christian music and. Pearl Jam. Uh, Diane was a really sweet girl, said one former neighbor, but I thought she was a little naive and sheltered from the outside world. Didn't we just discuss that, like, last episode? Yeah. Okay, just make a jerk. She was really a virgin in life, you know. She hadn't really experienced anything. She didn't and she know... she hadn't met me. She didn't know all the things that could happen between people. <laughs> and then... That involved candy and bands. 
In August 1995, just before the start of her senior year, her life changed. She told her parents that she had fallen for a boy, David Graham. He was just like her, she said breathlessly. It was not only that they had known known each other, known as children what they had wanted to do with their lives. They both loved calculus, physics, and government, and they talked on the phone late into the night about their homework. Their feelings, well known to any adolescent, were a mixture of adoration and total possessiveness. When they were together, they never stopped touching. Diane would put her arm around his waist, sliding one finger into a belt loop, and David would encircle her with his arms. He always had both arms around her, like he was afraid she was going somewhere, said Diane's Aunt Sylvia. Well, yeah, we know the end of this. She's going to prison. <laughs> Wait, yeah, the two of them looked like they were wrapped up in one another. It was not difficult for David and Diane to be swept away by the romantic grandeur of their relationship. By then, they were the stars of the Civil Air Patrol. David was a cadet colonel in the CAP's youth division, the highest accolade given, and Diane was the wing secretary, and they saw themselves as the top guns of the 21st century. Yeah. David saw himself becoming a great fighter pilot, Diane a famous astronaut. Abandoning her plans to study physics at an academically elite major university, Diane applied to the Air Force Academy, where David was sent, set on going. <laughs> After she learned that the deadline had passed for applications, she applied to the U.S. Naval Academy with the intention of transferring her commission after graduation from the Navy to the Air Force so she could be stationed with David. Diane's family knew that David's personality was a little different. He had a collection of hunting rifles, which he once brought over to their house. When he came to church with Diane, he wore his combat boots, pants, and a t-shirt, and he kept his arms closely around her through the service. He once showed up at the Zamora's house with a couple of his ROTC buddies from Mansfield. For entertainment, David took them out to the front yard and ordered them to march back and forth. It's called being a fucking little psycho. Yeah, Diane was laughing, thinking it was funny, said Sylvia, but I think the rest of us wondered a little when David said, I can get these guys to do whatever I want. Still, no one could say that David was ever impolite around Diane or her family. <laughs> On weeknights, he drove the 18 miles from Mansfield to Crowley and quietly sat in the Zamora's living room to do homework with her. When her parents couldn't afford a pair of $100 combat boots for Diane, David bought them. After Diane had a serious wreck driving David's pickup truck, requiring pins to be put into her left hand, David spent the entire night spent the entire nights at the hospital with her. Unlike that other boyfriend of hers who just wanted to go all the way, said a relative, David genuinely cared for Diane. I don't think Diane had ever had that kind of attention. Little ditty about David Diane. Right. <laughs> Two Texas kids murdering in Best. the heart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, sorry. I had to. I tried to resist. I really did. I was sitting there going, don't do it, Scotty. Don't fucking do it. Hold it back. But I... Like, and I had to say I, it. I just, I, I just fucking can't. Because... This is this is why I need handlers. Like because fucking I, I can't trust myself to do shit. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the show. Scott's getting a suit Scott's by, done by, now. by Mellencamp and you know, like, fucking everybody in Mexico and everybody in England. Pretty much Scott's getting a suit by everybody. 
Um, look, what happened between me and Timothy, it's our business, bitch. Teabagging. <laughs> that September, about a month after they had started dating, they told Diane's parents that they were engaged. David had sold a couple of, hun- of his hunting rifles to make a down payment for an engagement ring. They were going to get married, they said, on August 13, 2000, after they graduated from their military academies. They already had the wedding planned. They were going to charter a bus to carry their relatives in Texas to the famous Cadet Chapel on the Air Force Academy's campus. There, David would wear his uniform, Diana white wedding dress, and at the end of the ceremony, they would walk under crossed swords held by other cadets. Not long after they announced their engagement, her family confirmed Diane lost her virginity to David, an act that had a dramatic impact on her life. Yeah, after it was over, she was real confused by what had happened, one relative said. I know it belong in my butt. I just, I, I didn't think that how, that's how that went down. <laughs> no but. one told me how this was supposed to go. <laughs> the spit determination? I, I don't know. Yeah. I know she felt guilty because she had wanted to wait, but once she went through with it, she became more committed than ever to David. I remember her saying, if I can't be Mrs. David Graham, then I will die as Miss Diane Zamora. Indeed, they were hopelessly in love, focused as laser beams on each other. In the in that classic teenage way, they developed their own secret love code. <laughs> this cracks me up because it's a little close to home. <laughs> she called him Tiger. The Mansfield High School mascot was a tiger. And he called her kitten, <laughs> which is what John calls me. Well, meow. Uh, and they ended many of their telephone conversations with the words, greenish brown female sheep. <laughs> Greenish brown is the color olive. A female sheep is a you. All of you. I love you. Jesus fucking Christ. I yeah. still in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> On the first weekend in November, David traveled, traveled to Lubbock with other members of the Mansfield High cross-country team for the regional meet. Both the boys and girls squads had qualified and the school provided them a large van for the trip. One of the students who went on that trip was Adrian Jones. In many ways... Adrian was Diane Zamora's polar opposite. A girl who knew how to charm guys and get them to look at her twice. When she posed for one studio portrait, she made sure to show some cleavage. Although she was far from sexually naive, she wasn't overly promiscuous in a way that would make her an outcast among the more popular girls. Diane, on the other hand, rarely put on makeup for school, and except for David, she thought most high school guys were immature. It's not, it's not known if anything happened between Adrian and David in Lubbock. No one can remember whether they sat next to one another in the van or stayed up late talking at the motel. Some of Adrian's friends think she would have kept her distance from David. As one friend pointed out, Adrian had her standards. She would never sleep with another girl's boyfriend. But something did happen when they returned to Mansfield. For whatever reason, perhaps Adrian looked at David in the van and saw the kind of guy that even her father would like. She asked him to give her a ride home. They didn't go straight to her house. Adrian surprised him by asking him to take some turns that he knew were out of the way. They ended up behind an elementary school where David parked the car and he and Adrian had sex, a brief but truly fatal entanglement. 
Apparently, they told no one. Their encounter seemed to have been an impulsive one-night fling. But a month later, late in the evening, a friend of David's who lived in the nearby town of Burleson heard a tapping at his window. David and Diane, their clothes bloodied, came through the window. According to the friend, David begged him to ask no questions. But the friend noticed that both David and Diane were upset. They lay on the floor and held each other in their bloody clothes. It was the same night Adrian Jones disappeared from her home and was murdered. But the friend never reported the incident to the police, and soon David and Diane were back to their old ways. Using his father's credit card, David bought Diane and Gloria leather coats at Christmas as Christmas presents. He got Diane's engagement engagement ring out of the way so she could begin to wear it. On Valentine's Day, he gave her a teddy bear and flowers. Diane's family could not help but wonder about the relationship as it progressed. David and Diane seemed so absorbed in one another's lives, so obsessed. No matter what we were talking about, Diane brought up David's name. She was always talking about David this or David that. One night when they were apart and David didn't call, Diane tearfully begged her mother to call his house to see if anything terrible had happened to him. David was no different. He came over every afternoon to run with Diane, and some nights he would stay so late that he would fall asleep on the couch. His father would call demanding that he come home, but David would dawdle for hours before leaving. Whenever Diane would go to a school function at night, David would phone every hour from his home until she got back. That's a little obsessive. Oh, stalkerish there, man. Dude, motherfucker. Let her get home. She'll call you. Knock the fuck off. That spring, they learned within days of each other that they had been accepted to their academies. David to the Air Force, Diane to the Navy. At special ceremonies at their high schools, they were presented with the Academy acceptance letters. The Mansfield students gave a long ovation to David, who had Diane at his side. I know this sounds strange to say now, recalled Becky Strassnyder. These names. Uh, But we thought it was so cool that he had followed his dream. For her part, Gloria was so proud of what her daughter had done that she called the Hispanic-oriented La Estrella section of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram and suggested a story. When she spoke with David and Diane, the reporter, Rosanna Ruiz, asked them if they were being realistic about being married in five years, considering they would be so far apart. But the two insisted that they would stay in touch daily through email. I was surprised at how adamant they were. Ruiz recalled, they said there were they were certain the marriage was going to happen and that they were not going they were not going to be any outs. Why did I I'm not sure what my typo was there. Um, in the summer of 1996, after nearly 300 interviews, detectives put the case on what they called slowdown mode. Bill and Linda Jones sank deeper into despair. Bill had to restrain himself to keep from interrogating every teenager he saw in town. Linda would get into her car at night and drive to the site where Adrian was found, hoping she might come across the killer. Yes, often they come back to the site, but not like every night. (laughs) Um, Some students continued to see counselors about Adrian's death. 
excuse me, only 1,239 young people were accepted out of the 8,736 who applied to enter the Air Force Academy for the fall 96 semester. Um, and of the nearly 10,000 who applied to the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland, only 1,200 were accepted, 200 of those being women. Just by getting into their academies, David Graham and Diane Zamora had become part of a select group of American teenagers. To stay there, however, they had to survive grueling summer boot camps designed to eradicate their civilian habits. Uh, by all indications, David successfully completed his basic cadet training in Colorado Springs. According to relatives who read them, Diane's letters home indicated that she was capably enduring plebe summer in Annapolis, as they called it. Uh, she wrote in detail about her daily schedule. From the 90-minute calisthenic sessions at 6 in the morning to the evening drill period in which they marched with M16 rifles, she wrote that she was going to church again at the Naval Chapel and that she had joined the Glee Club. But her squad leader, Jay Guild, a good-looking plebe from suburban Chicago, said Diane was not physically keeping up with the others and seemed emotionally distracted. She liked to talk about David, Jay said. She missed him a lot. She often talked about him very strangely, as if she didn't trust him, but she still wanted to be with him. It was very odd. Jay said Diane went on crying fits when David wouldn't answer an email. She told him she suspected David was cheating on her with a female cadet at the Air Force Academy. Apart from David, for the first time since they began dating, Diane became plagued with jealousy, and she decided, in turn, to make David jealous. According to one source, Diane stopped sending David email for several days, telling him that her computer had broken. A few weeks into the plebe summer, Jay added Diane told him that she was considering breaking up with David and she suggested that the two of them become boyfriend and girlfriend. She then sent David an email telling him that Jay had kissed her. Games. Fucking game players. Um, did he use tongue? <laughs> and where did he kiss her? That's the other question. Yes. You know, a kiss is a kiss, but that there's another kind of kiss that is just a little bit mm. more. Jay said that at one point in the summer, he asked Diane if David had ever cheated on her before. She said yes, and I said, what did you do about it? She told me that she had asked David to kill the other girl. Just fucking Christ. Yeah. Although the Academy's strict honor code known as the Brigade of Midshipmen Honor Concept states that a midshipman must immediately report another midshipman who lies, cheats, or breaks the law in any way, Jay told no one and would eventually be asked to resign from the Academy because of his silence. I didn't want to believe it. I thought well, maybe well, she was trying case, to get attention. In his case, maybe he heard Ahmed the dead terrorist. Silence! Thank you! <laughs> But in late August, Diane told the story again, this time to her two roommates, Mandy Gotch and Jennifer McKierney. <laughs> they were having a late night conversation. That yeah. name literally stopped me in my tracks. I'm sharing a <laughs> bottle of wine with my buddy John. 
who's also our tech guy. And she's this gotch name. I literally turned around and gave her that look in the mouth. What the fuck? <laughs> like, cause I, sometimes I think you're fucking with me, Laura. Just like I get fucked with on the goddamn names you never know. that Dawn leaves in some of the research where she said, yeah, this is Vladimir Kutapanatanatikatsky. You know, Jesus Christ. Gotch. Gotch, yep. Uh, they were having a late night conversation and one of the girls mentioned how Diane and David seemed so in love. According to an investigator in the case, one roommate said to Diane, I bet you two would do anything for each other. Even kill. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah, Diane replied, yes. Even kill for each other, the oh roommate asked. <laughs> <laughs> I must have ESP. <laughs> Diane paused. Yes. We have, she said. Then she told them, the story about Adrian, whether out of guilt or pride, no one is sure. Initially, the two roommates were skeptical about what they had heard, but the next day they nervously told a Navy chaplain about the conversation. The chaplain contacted a Navy attorney at the academy, who then began calling police departments in the Dallas-Fort Worth area to ask if they had an unsolved murder of a teenage girl. Almost got away with it. On August 29th, he contacted the Grand Prairie Police Department. The next morning, detectives were on a flight to Annapolis. They pulled her out of the first pep rally of the season for the Navy's football team, the first night when the plebes were allowed to mingle with upperclassmen and feel a part of the academy. Across the yard came the sound of pounding drums and cheering midshipmen as Diane was escorted down a long hallway in the administration building and then was led into a room where several detectives and Navy officials waited. I can hear it coming yeah. in the end of night. <laughs> Going to jail. Yeah. <laughs> she admitted to nothing. She said only that she had been insecure throughout the summer and that such a tale about murder would make her look tougher in the eyes of her classmates. Especially if I told them my tale of woe that there's a touch to it. <laughs> the cops weren't buying it. But what could they do? They had no evidence against her. Navy officials told her they were temporarily suspending her and sending her home until the matter was straightened out. They gave her an airplane ticket that took her from Baltimore to Atlanta and then on to Dallas. When That's Diane, torture enough if they sent her on a yeah. plane to fucking Atlanta. <laughs> when Diane reached Atlanta, however, she changed planes and flew to Colorado Springs where she went to see David. Aha, she wants some nicky nicky. I'm like, oh shit, I'm going to prison. So I'm going to Better prison. get it now. <laughs> I'm going to get laid before I go to prison and uh, get laid. <laughs> no one knows what was said between them, but the two did have their photographs taken by a friend of David's. Um, in that one moment, they looked at the camera with a nearly desperate look as if they knew this was their last time together, that the fairy tale was over. When the detectives arrived in Colorado Springs, David insisted that he couldn't imagine why Diane would tell such a blatantly false story. But the cops told him they had found his friend in Burleson and had heard the story of the bloody clothing. Then the Air Force officers told the young cadet that he had a duty to reveal the truth. Finally, David broke. He sat down at a word processor and typed a four-and-a-half-page confession that one forensic psychologist would later equate with a Danielle Steele novel. It's kind of like what this shit sounded like anyway. Yeah. David wrote that for a month after his evening with Adrian, he was tormented by guilt and shame. 
The perfect and pure relationship between him and Diane, he added, had been defiled by the other girl who had stolen from us our purity. Okay, stop right there. Okay, now, on a serious note, I hear so many guys do that, and girls too. It wasn't my fault. It was the other person's mm-hmm. fault. I was lured in. Okay, here's a fucking goddamn. Motherfuckers own this shit. If you fuck someone else and you get busted, own that shit. Yeah. It wasn't. They didn't go, hey, come here. And you went, no, I can't because I don't cheat and I'm pure and innocent. Right, own the deception, yeah, and don't try to sully the act. That's a good point, John. You know, fucking goddamn, man. Right, exactly, and that, that's one thing that I like about my dynamic with Don is that you know I, I got carte blanche to fuck whoever the hell I want. The fucked up thing is, she Jedi mind tricked me is what she did, because by saying that, I really don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> don't get no. Well, let me take that back. There, there, there are some people that I would love to bang, but. <laughs> Eventually, he told Diane about this trip. Oh, I thought that was an offer for a minute. Eventually, I was up. Like, yeah, I was like, I'll perk it up. Like, what? <laughs> oh, what's going on over there? Yes. Yes. <laughs> now I got Jedi mind tricks along with fucking ponies and spoons. Jesus fucking Christ. This is turned out to be a great podcast right here. This is why I need drugs. For at least an hour, she screamed sobs that I wouldn't have thought possible. It wasn't just jealousy. For Diane, she had been betrayed, deceived, and forgotten. And then he said Diane gave him an ultimatum. Kill Adrian. David agreed, I didn't have any harsh feelings for Adrian, he wrote, but no one could stand between me and Diane. Fucking Christ, yeah. Because I got a can. Damn. Full contact, sex education. So... Send your teenage daughters to <laughs> Vancouver, Washington. This is a bad idea. Care of Scott. <laughs> what could go wrong? What could go wrong? I got a vasectomy. Then I'm not going to get pregnant. Just saying. I'm stopping you now. Both of you. I'm stopping you now. I'm the sober one here. Oh, man. See, John and I are in trouble already. Yep. He's great. I got to go take a pee. <laughs> And so, David admitted he called Adrian on the night of December 4th, 1995, and said he wanted to see her. He picked her up in a Mazda protege owned by Diane's parents. So he took Diane's parents' car to do this. Uh, Diane was hiding in the hatchback. They drove out to a secluded country road. And Adrian reclined the passenger seat, no doubt, hoping for another romantic interlude. According to David's confession, while he held Adrian, Diane raised up from her hiding place and hit her in the head with a dumbbell that belonged to David. Adrian, however, did not die. I realized too late that all those quick, painless snaps seen in the movies were just your usual Hollywood stunts, David wrote. Adrian somehow crawled through the window and, to our horror, ran off. I was panicky and just grabbed the Makarov 9mm to follow. To our relief, at the time, she was too injured from the wounds to go far. She ran into a nearby field and collapsed. In that short instance, I knew I couldn't leave the key witness to our crime alive. I just pointed and shot. 
I fired again and ran to the car. Diane and I drove off. The first things out of our mouths were, I love you, and then David said her thirst for revenge suddenly slacked. Uh, we shouldn't have done that, David. <laughs> well, fucking a day late and a bullet short. Uh, the police recovered the handgun along with several dumbbells from the attic of the Graham's home. And the two dumbbells that killed the girl. Yeah. They also confronted Diane, who by then was back in Texas. She stared at the officers. Then she quietly went to the station to give her own confession. She was put in a solitary cell on a separate floor from David, and she looked like a harmless teenage girl in a sleeveless shirt and blue jeans. Every day she did push-ups and sit-ups in her cell. She asked her mother for history and government textbooks so she could continue her studies. So she can work out, man. She said, I'm going to prison. I got to get jacked. Yeah. She said little to the guards or to her fellow female inmates, except for one prisoner who regularly cried because she missed her children. In Mansfield, as everywhere else, the question on everyone's mind was why... Other citizens were shocked to learn that more than one of David's closest friends suspected that David was involved in Adrian's murder, yet never said anything to the police. It was as if the most important thing among these teenagers was not narking on a friend. I kind of get that. Like, I wouldn't nark on a friend to kill a friend or kill a person. (laughs) To to kill another friend. Yeah, sometimes a bitch has to die. I don't think that Adrian did because she no. sounded like she was bombed, but. Uh, what remained unfathomable was how David and Diane could convince themselves that only death could eliminate the one blot on their perfect teenage love affair. How could they imagine that sexual betrayal was a far worse crime than murder? It seems clear that David convinced Diane that Adrian was a seductress who lured him behind the elementary school. According to one police source, just before Diane hit Adrian in the head, she looked at her and said, I know who you are and I know what you did. Holy shit. (laughs) Zamora's two-week trial began in February of 1988 in Fort Worth with Judge Joe Drago presiding. Linda Jones, Adrian's mother, asked that the death penalty be removed as a sentencing option from both trials. During the trial, Zamora admitted to being at the scene of the crime, but denied participating in the killing of Jones. The Naval Academy midshipman to whom Zamora confessed and another witness stated that she showed no remorse over Jones' death. The case received national media attention, providing Court TV with some of its highest ratings ever in its film coverage of the trial. Some of the interest centered on whether... Diane was the submissive victim or the jealous driving force behind the murder. Under Texas law, murder is the intentional killing of another human being, while capital murder includes murder with an underlying felony of kidnapping, robbery, aggravated sexual assault, arson, or obstruction. I don't think this is kidnapping. In this case, the prosecutor believed that Jones was deceptively lured from her home by Graham, asking her for a bogus date or she would not have been in the car. Moreover, the couple committed obstruction when Diane allegedly ordered David to stalk Adrian into the field and to shoot her so that she couldn't tell anyone. The jury was asked to deliberate on the charges of capital murder or the lesser charge of assault, kidnapping, or false imprisonment. 
On February 17, 1998, after more than six hours of deliberations over two days, the jury found Zamora guilty of capital murder in the death of Adrian Jones. Because of the Jones family's request that prosecutors not seek the death penalty against her, Diane received a mandatory sentence of life imprisonment and would be eligible for parole after 40 years. Did you just say four? 40. Oh, 40. I was going to say, what, what the fuck? After four years, what the fuck, yeah. Yeah, that got my little what the fuck face. Yeah. Just the Netherlands, but you will spend your entire life in jail. But the max that could be is 21 years. (laughs) With good behavior, you'll be out tomorrow. In in 12, yeah. (laughs) On July 24th, 1998, after a separate trial, a jury found David guilty of capital murder. During the trial, Wendy Bartlett, also on the track team, and coach Leanne Burke stated that Bartlett was the one who drove Jones home after the meet on November 4th, 1995, and that Graham had left earlier leaving Jones and Bartlett to put away equipment from the meet. Graham did not drive Jones home on the night he claimed to have had sex with her, uh, lending credence to his later recantation. Yes, he completely recanted this later, of course. However, he ultimately repudiated his recantation, saying his lawyer had pressured him to lie and again claimed to have had sex with Jones, adding that Diane's story about Adrian admitting to having sex with David when Diane asked her about it just before the murder. It might be that David and Jones, Adrian Jones, had had sex at some other time, but he was sentenced to life. David Richards, Diane Zamora's attorney, used the testimony from Bartlett and Burke as the basis for an appeal for, an appeal for Diane. The petition, made in 2005, stated that the prosecution withheld this information during Diane's trial. From these witnesses, the state knew and should have known that the testimony it sponsored in support of a sexual encounter between Jones and Graham was probably false. Due to the prominence of the case, in 2015, Tarrant County authorities chose to keep the paper court documents of the case as historical documents, even though they have been digitized. Uh, Mountain View Unit, Gatesville, Texas, is where Diane is in prison. Was was in prison. She was then transferred from a jail in Fort Worth, Texas, to the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. She was initially held in a state prison diagnostic unit in Gatesville, Texas, in February 1998, then held at the Murray Unit, also in Gatesville. At one point, she was held in protective custody at Mountain View Unit in Gatesville, but she was later removed to the general prison population in the William P. Hobby Unit near Marlin. That's a lot of places to have been. Uh, As of 2018, she's back in protective custody in Mountain View. Diane Diane, opposed to her placement, filed a civil rights complaint with the 5th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, but the complaint was dismissed. David was held at the Ellis unit near Huntsville after the trial. In 2016, he was held at the Darrington unit near Rocheron. As of 2018, he is at the Allred unit in Wichita Falls. This is what really gets me. He's currently enrolled at the Southwest Baptist Theological Seminary's Inmate Seminary in order to become a pastor behind bars. Because, of course, he found Jesus even more. They all find religion. In 2008, Graham said that his confession to the police was correct 
and expressed uh, remorse for killing Jones. He also said that if he had it to do over again, he would have pled guilty to murder. And that is the end of a very, very long story. It's like Daniel Steele meets a fucking high school novel. That's, uh, Sweet Valley High. That's what I was thinking. I was trying to think of that fucking <laughs> yeah. thing. Jesus fucking Christ. Yes. Well, let's wrap I told this. you that was a long one. No shit, man. And right. Yeah, That's what happens when Adrian comes back <laughs> as a zombie. <laughs> All right. A couple of things. Number one, remember that if you want to actually meet the host and the tech guy and everybody from Brutal Nation, we're going to be out of Mill City, Oregon, August 6th. Uh, my band Twisted Blue will be playing a show there, a three-hour set in the middle of August outside. What the hell was I thinking? I'm going to die of heat exposure. <laughs> Hopefully it's shaded. I'm hoping so. We did a show at PIR once. We had to beg for freaking mm. shade in the middle of August. All right. Remember, you can send us an email at Twisted... Oh, fuck me. You can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check out the website www.TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, wherever. Get your blog. Just type in at Twisted Blue. I'm sorry. Jesus. At Brutal Nation. I'm just full of fucking bullshit today. Fucking too much wine, I guess. This show is copyright 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights reserved. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.